On today's Emerging Tech Horizons podcast, what is the Defense Civilian Training Corps? company of forward thinkers with more than 55,000 employees around the globe and products in 58 customer countries, Raytheon has established itself as a trusted partner. From detection to action, we give our customers a decisive advantage. Customer-driven, technology-powered, Raytheon, revolutionizing defense capabilities. Hello and welcome to the Emerging Tech Horizons podcast. I'm Arun Serafin, Executive Director of NDIA's Emerging Technologies Institute. Today's episode is an introduction to a new program, the Defense Civilian Training Corps. It's a new congressionally mandated program that provides students with full tuition scholarships and a pathway to civilian employment in the Department of Defense. To help us understand how industry and government and universities can work with this new program, we have an expert here with us today. My guest today is Ms. Karen Thornton. Thanks for being here, Karen. Thank you so much, it's great. So Karen, my, my crack staff uh, tried to Google a bio for me to read about you and I got presented with a whole bunch of stuff but I'm not sure which of these is you and which other. We found a Karen Thornton who began her legal career as an Army JAG officer, procurement attorney at the U.S. Corps, Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, we found a Karen Thornton who is in the Office of General Counsel at the GAO. Uh, there's another Karen Thornton who is Director of Government Procurement Law Program at the George Washington University Law School and a member of their legal writing faculty. There's a, another Karen Thornton we found who is a counsel on the staff of the House Armed Services Committee. And then, and then I think this is you, Karen, uh, who is a fellow at the Acquisition Innovation Research Center, which is a part of the Systems Engineering Research Center uh, at the Stevens Institute of Technology. So of, of those, Karen Thorntons, which one is you? All of the above. Oh, but that, that's amazing. That's an amazing, uh, amazing background. And, and to be truthful, Karen and I have known each other for a little while. We were uh, colleagues on the Hill when I was on the Senate Armed Services Committee. Karen was on the House Armed Services Committee. Right now, like she said, she's a member of an executive team at the Acquisition Research Center, Acquisition Innovation Research Center, implementing the Defense Civilian Training Corps on behalf of the Undersecretary for Acquisition and Sustainment, Dull Plant. Um, so thank you, Karen, for joining us today. Thank you. So let's start by talking about the Defense Civilian Training Corps. I think most people would say, what is DCTC? Yeah, that's it's a great question. We are brand new. We, uh, as you said, it's a statutorily authorized uh, pilot program. The Defense Civilian Training Corps was authorized in the FY20 NDAA. And last year's NDAA specified that it should be the Undersecretary of Defense for ANS who um, takes the lead and in particular um, partners with the Acquisition Innovation Research Center, ERIC, to launch a program that creates this pathway into service for civilians in the acquisition workforce. And to do that, we need a, a partnership between academia and uh, the Department of Defense. So ERIC is a consortium of 27 universities and, and is um, selected for universities to pilot this program this year. Um, this is happening at lightning speed both in terms of academia and, and the department. 
We have four universities, uh, Purdue University, University of Arizona, Virginia Tech, and North Carolina A&T. So each of those universities has a two-year curriculum that um, the students, we have 89 students in the program that were selected by the universities this spring, early summer. Um, and so these are juniors who are taking courses now for two years um, and will be also in a project-based summer internship with a federal, uh, with a DOD organization. This combined curriculum and development program prepares the students for a career in the department. They have a scholarship, they have a um, monthly stipend and, um, and funds for books, not unlike the SMART scholarship program or the ROTC program that, that uh, I um, was part of. Um, and so similar to those programs, we are developing the future workforce. But what's really unique here is this is the acquisition workforce. So the reflection of the breadth of the disciplines that make up the acquisition workforce, our scholars are from over 50 different majors, ranging from business, policy, finance, um, to aeronautical engineering, mechanical engineering, biomedicine. Um, and that makes for a really exciting learning space on campus. And we are, of course, um, we'll talk more about this, but we're, we're, we have these partnerships with the DOD organizations that are helping us understand what their critical skill needs are. So um, it's, uh, you, you said it's a, it's a scholarship for service type yes. program. So in that way, in the same way that ROTC, ROTC mm -hmm. uh, puts people in uniform mm -hmm. by paying for them to go to school partially, and smart science, math, and research for transformation scholarships are for uh, technical students, mm -hmm. often who get their PhDs mm -hmm. and end up working in government laboratories. This is more for the civilian acquisition workforce. Yes, okay. precisely. Um, and then the majors can range across, like you said, STEM degrees and non-STEM degrees. Yes, exactly. And that really is a hallmark of our program, this multidisciplinary cohort-based program where at each school we have 20 to 30 scholars in the classroom. And then our focus as we're partnering to have project-based summer internships is that the students will go again in cohorts to uh, you know four or five students to a project, but the project will require multiple disciplines to solve the problem that's presented. So it's really like real life. Right. Um, right. So it sounds like DCTC is this unique, novel opportunity then to bridge academia, DOD, industry to address the need to recruit and then retain talent in this really important area, acquisition workforce, with those new skill sets. So what's the role then of the Acquisition Innovation Research Center in sort of establishing those bridges? Yeah, that's great. A uh, great question and an opportunity for me to talk about the wonderful team that we have. So again, because the ERIC is part of a university consortium, we, uh, we were able to identify these four pilot schools to work with us. And they are fantastic because each of them has an existing relationship with the department through research that's going on in their nanotechnology labs or other labs on campus. They have an ROTC presence, and they have faculty who are deploying the curriculum that the 
team at ERIC is putting together because we want to make sure that we have a consistent curriculum across four schools. That way we can measure how well we are delivering to the department well-prepared students. Um, we've also got on our team folks who have many years of civilian service themselves and have been building relationships with DOD organizations to host summer internships. And this cohort-based multidisciplinary model is what's really going to help us transform the way the department hires and retains top talent. And we've seen this. This is how it works in um, best practices in the industry, that um, cohort-based hiring ensures that you are building a community and that you have a culture where folks are collaborating and working as a team and supporting one another. So that's... And the, the cohort uh, idea, is is that the way Roxy is, uh, is working? In a sense, yes, I would definitely say that. I mean, my own experience, like that was, you know, that was my family, my, my community on campus. And then when, um, you know, we did summer training and then we would show up at our first assignment. My first assignment with the Army Corps of Engineers was an honors program of eight young captains. And to this day, we're all each other's godparents to each other's children. And, and it really did help um, in an environment where there were much more senior um, people in the chief counsel's office. The eight of us really formed this bond and this sense of we're here together. So, so the ERIC is, is bringing best practices from across industry and the department to make sure that we are bringing talent that is prepared to be effective on day one and bringing it at speed so that we, uh, you know, we're facilitating a security clearance process um, with our DOD partners as well. And that's something that um, really Eric is uniquely positioned to be able to, to do. That's great. Now, you know, um, there's been a lot of attempts to strengthen the acquisition workforce and the civilian workforce as a whole over the years. A lot of people have tried and there, there have not all been failures. There's been some successes. Yeah. I'm sure you went out and, and, and talked to people about what, what went on before. So what was some of the lessons learned? What was some of the advice that you got? And how are you implementing that as you're trying to establish this program? Yeah, uh, that's, that's um, you know, one of the great things about being here in D.C. and having, you know, the the twisting career path that you've described means, you know, I've had a lot of uh, wonderful mentors along the way. And I think one of the most important pieces of advice that, that we've had here with Eric is, you know, to stay lean, to make sure that we're not building in the kind of bureaucracy that ROTC has built of its own necessity and as a different kind of program since 1916, right? But um, Eric, again, is uniquely positioned to leverage um, the talents of faculty across these 27 schools and building the curriculum. So we're not building that from scratch. We are partnering with um, DOD organizations, the um, the um, Army's C Combat Capabilities Development Command, DEVCOM, is facilitating the security clearance process for us, um, rather than us, you know, kind of building that in from inside. And we're going to figure out how to scale carefully, rather than, um, you know, build out a program that has, you know, um, dozens of universities. Um, we're going to figure out how to package this curriculum and learning experience and internship experience 
so that it can be applied beyond the acquisition workforce, beyond the DOD? Is that something that, that we're hearing from OMB would be um, really valuable across government? So um, just to clarify, so if you are a student in the program, um, you are signing up for some kind of a civilian commitment, is that right? So the students that we have now, we consider cohort zero. When I said that we're working at lightning speed, um, the decision was made in March this year that rather than take another year to study the issue, we wanted to have students in the seats. That was the Assistant Secretary uh, for Acquisitions um, you know, uh, charge to us. And, and so this first cohort, we are not requiring a service agreement because we are building the program as we go. And the best thing that these students can provide for us is their feedback as we go for how to improve and make Testing it Testing out the educational piece, the cohort piece, exactly. the experience piece. I mean, we're literally a startup with a minimally viable product. So, um, but I am I can assure you, having met these 90 students now and having um, seen in their eyes the excitement that they understand now for the first time, the roles that civilians play in the department. I mean, many of them um, had a sense that the department is, you know, everyone is in uniform and that those are the most, um, uh, you know, uh, meaningful roles in the department. But we've really helped open their eyes to the roles of civilians. And we're, again, we're really facilitating a frictionless pathway for them into these organizations that, Otherwise, they would have had a very hard time on USA jobs. I mean, I, I spoke to one student at Virginia Tech who described having struck out on USA jobs three or four times. Right. And was just thrilled. Yeah, if, you're, if your only exposure to what the government could be is through a thing like USA yeah. jobs, I could see why people get turned off. Right. I think we've found over the years that, you know, exposing people to what it's like to uh, work with directly with the warfighter. Yeah. See how you're supporting. Right. Address some of the issues that they need help with so that they can be their best, get all the equipment they need, be fully ready for whatever we want them to do. Um, we've even found it on the science and technology side, just exposing them yeah. to the labs and the equipment right. and the projects you can work on, and the problems you can try to solve. That's a big sales pitch yep. for getting people to, to come and join. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's been really exciting. So in the first semester, which is just wrapping up now, the students had a semester-long project. And I went to University of Arizona and got to see the students put on their presentations. And, um, you know, we had a neuroscientist and a business major and a, um, you know, a biology major on a team explaining the PPPE process and, you know, potential courses of action that could be taken um, that the commission is considering right now. I mean, so many layers of extraordinary that these students could explain the PPBE process that they, you know, they they had researched for themselves and that they were together across these different disciplines, bringing insights to it that, you know, uh, and enjoying working together. One of the business majors said, you know, in his studies, there's a lot of focus on DEI and corporate culture on diversity, equity, inclusion. He said, Diversity, for the first time in his life, he was experiencing it in this classroom, learning from other students from different disciplines, learning the different frameworks that they approach problems with, different, learning the different ways that they think about issues. And, and that is really the magic of DCTC. And I trust that you are comfortable exposing young um, students 
impressionable people to the PPD process yes. did not affect them no. in <laughs> any negative way. No, that's good. Fantastic. So, um, you know, one of the challenges with the workforce is always a lack of people with STEM skills. We at ETI have thought hard about um, working with minority serving institutions mm -hmm. in this world. So are you working with minority serving institutions to kind of supplement the, the, the cohorts with, with students from, from that those communities as well? Yes, absolutely. That's definitely one of the goals of the program. Uh, North Carolina A&T is an HBCU. It's the country's largest producer of African-American engineers. Very proud tradition there. And University of Arizona is a minority-serving or Hispanic-serving institution. So we're delighted to be partnering with those schools. They bring a lot to the program. And the universities there also have very strong student support networks and um, and offerings for their, for their students. So we learned from North Carolina A&T the term culture of care. And so we're bringing that to the um, learning environment for our students to make sure that they have a sense that their, their work is respected, that they are adding value as individuals and teaching them really how to lead themselves as they prepare to lead others. So we're implementing uh, resilience building skill um, uh, into the curriculum. Students will be um, having class discussions and, um, and journaling as they prepare for practice where um, you know, it, it will not necessarily, the, the environment will not necessarily be the same as on campus, but they will have built these skills to feel empowered to share their perspectives and be a respected part of the team at DoD. So another community that we'd love to tap into are all of the foreign national students in this country. Now, have you started to think about how foreign national students can participate in the program? Is that something that you're, you're think, working on for the future? Well, I'm, I'm familiar with ETI's work on this, and I think it's really great because this is really a big issue for our country to be able to retain the talent that comes here. Like SMART, the um, DCTC program is what does require U.S. citizenship to be eligible. But, you know, again, as we are building this community and making sure that we are replacing the expertise and talent that is going to be retiring from the federal workforce, I think definitely that issue goes hand in hand with the way that we are developing DCTC. But it's it's not something that, that we're working on with DCTC right now. So what's been the reaction then from the students, right? You know, you mentioned the one student saying, you know, I've, I've never seen this kind of diversity. Never been right. What are, right. What, are some of the, what are some of the early reactions? Yeah, no, it's it's been really wonderful. Um, you know, we've started a student blog so that the students can really, um, you know, lend their voice and they're on LinkedIn too. So um, in addition to having visited all the campuses and um, spoken with the scholars, um, we're making sure that they can speak for themselves. They, um, they look forward to this class every week, so it, it meets once a week. Um, I remember the same kind of feeling when I was in ROTC, you know, hanging out in the student lounge, um, really having a sense of, of community, people who were like-minded, had the same sense of values, a desire to serve. Um, there's no doubt, it's very strong at, at Virginia Tech, for sure, that's part of their campus ethos, but I'm definitely seeing it within each of these classes, 
at, our, at all four of our campuses, our faculty members are serving as the first line of mentors for our scholarly, for our scholars and, um, and really emphasizing this sense of belonging and, and the sense of meaning. Because, you know, to be honest, um, you know, at Eric, we've done a lot of looking at what it takes to attract top talent to, to the department or government wide. And there's always going to be that, you know, the USA jobs barrier and the um, security clearance timeline barrier. But if we can overcome those and we can give our students a sense of real meaning, then we will definitely be able to compete on salary with, um, with industry, which is not to say that this is uh, our purpose is to be in a competitive mindset. We'd, we want to be partnering with industry as well taking advantage of industry exchange programs when our scholars become uh, part of the, the, the civilian workforce. But um, we want to make sure that we're, we're, um, we're really ensuring that the students have a great opportunity and it's something they can be really proud to be part of. Yeah, and I would assume that if you're trying to train people up, help them get some training to join the acquisition workforce, you're going to want to find ways to expose them to the defense industry, commercial industry, even university side of the defense business. Absolutely. Okay. That's yes, great. absolutely. And we, and we definitely are working that into our um, curriculum when we talk about accelerating the speed, you know, to um, to production and, and getting the um, materials in the hands of the warfighter, you know, definitely understand for the, for the students to understand the industry perspective, the frustrations that there can be for industry in working with the department, the frustrations that there can be for small emerging tech companies to um, find their way into the department, um, uh, you know, the, the system. This is always um, an underlying theme for making sure that the students understand the breadth of issues. So, um, you know, I, I, as I understand it, the DOD organization will play the role of eventually employing some of these students. Mm -hmm. um, what other roles do the DOD organizations play or could, what could they do? as part of TCTC. Yeah, well, it's, you know, building a sense of a, a community of practice, I think is gonna be really important for these scholars. Um, we want them to be able to understand how to pave a, a meaningful career for themselves. There's no such thing, like when I was in ROTC and became an army officer, there was, gonna, there was centralized talent management. It was very clear what my path might look like. Um, without centralized talent management, we really need these students to be surrounded by mentors who can offer them a view into how to find new uh, additional growth opportunities, educational opportunities. And so um, we want to make sure one of the, as we evaluate proposals that have come in for summer internship opportunities, we are um, ensuring that our students are going to organizations where there is a, a mentor system, especially with near peer um, mentors who can um, provide a sense of community for, for the students. So you mentioned DEFCON, for example. Yeah. What are some of the other organizations? That... Yeah. So we, um, we've we uh, solicited or received um, proposals from around the country. Um, so we have um, all the way from PEO Stry in Florida to Crane Labs in Champaign, Illinois. Um, Crane to... Labs in Crane, Indiana. Oh, right. Okay. Um, I, um, you know, I'm a, definitely an inside the beltway girl. <laughs> but um, 
I mean, that's an extraordinary facility. Um, then um, also AMARG, the, um, what they call the boneyard outside yeah. of um, in, Arizona. in Arizona. So, you know, these uh, uh, represent the full life cycle of the acquisition process, right? From development to, um, you know, technological um, testing and all the way through sustainment. Yeah, that's the whole life cycle. Yeah, that's great. It's really exciting the kinds of opportunities our students will have. And so stay tuned because our announcement of student um, internship opportunities um, and placement is going to be coming up by the end of January, February. So what role does the government or anyone play in helping you identify the skill gaps that you should be going after? Right. Well, um, so you may know that the original authorizing statute identified or, or emphasized the importance of meeting critical skill gaps um, across the acquisition and emerging technologies space. Um, Eric has done research. Uh, this is, again, one of the benefits of, of having the full um, Eric faculty as a resource, um, doing a, a, a review of the, you know, the latest big reports on where there are critical skill gaps. So we're looking there um, to understand, you know, the kinds of both how how we need to develop talent to be collaborative, um, but also to be digitally aware, to be um, to be uh, you know conscious of the full range of, of technologies and, and, and um, know where to find emerging technologies. Um, so that's that's what we call the um, the, the the top down approach. But we want to hear now. The bottom-up approach is to hear from our DOD partners who are sponsoring these internships to really get them to articulate what, what their needs are because that will drive the demand signal to academia so that academia and the department can be better partners. And when they when they try to talk to you about their needs, are you are you asking them to say, I need five PhDs in neuroscience? Right. Or are you saying, you know, I need this kind of skill set? Exactly. Or I need this kind of research. What is, or is it could be any of the above? So the answers tend to be, I've got a vacancy for this position description. And that's exactly the kind, the transformation that we're trying to drive with DCTC. Because that's not the optimal way to hire for capabilities and to focus on cohorts. So, um, so we are, we're, as I said, the answers either come back in the form of a vacancy or something that's difficult to articulate. Um, so I think it's going to be a, one of the, the great benefits of the DCTC program is to help the organizations articulate their needs and then again, drive that as a demand signal to the universities to make sure that we're developing the talent department needs. And um, as a benefit to the organizations, I'm going to hope, guess, that they can take advantage of some of the flexible, more flexible hiring processes that the department has? Yes, definitely. So that's another one of the criteria for working with the organizations that are going to hire our students or to, to have our students come for project-based summer internship program is that they have to have a pathway to employment. So we're going to be leveraging those organizations that have existing authorities. And then we owe a report to Congress in March of 2025. And that report should include some discussion of whether there are authorities that are, are, that are needed. 
um, to ensure that we can continue a robust frictionless pathway for these folks. In so you're going to help write a report to Congress about giving. Ironic, isn't it? Incredibly <laughs> ironic. So, you know, the NDIA membership, um, it includes those those companies that yeah. you talk about. It definitely includes those government personnel. Right. Uh, but it also includes universities. Yeah. You know, 50 plus universities. How does a university now try to get involved in the program? You mentioned the ones that are already in the program, some right. of whom are members. Right. Um, but how, how did the rest of our member universities um, get involved? Yeah, it's uh, um, a great question. It's part of what we are working toward with this minimally viable product, right? So four schools are helping us understand how to expand at scale and make sure that we have the, the kind of diversity of, of um, approach and diverse, geographic diversity. And so I think the, the, there will be at some point an expansion and an advertisement for expanding the program. But then there's also gonna be likely the model where a DOD organization wants to look locally at the kinds of universities nearby that can create, that can be a pathway. Their neighbor universities. They're, exactly, right? their neighbor universities. Where they often already have cooperative research agreements, yep. interns coming and going, right, exactly. faculty moving back and forth. Yes, and that's, you know, that's a great point too, opportunities for faculty, right? And so our goal is for the air model, our curriculum, internship, and, and hiring pathway to be... Um, you know, we just sort of package it and hand it over to different organizations that they can then partner with their local university and have the, you know, the funding stream um, set up and support, uh, a, again, a very lean um, but, but effective organization. So now, um, if I'm a student and I'm interested mm -hmm. and I'm on one of those campuses, yeah. I'm sure there's an organizer somewhere I can find on campus. Mm -hmm. If I'm not on one of those campuses, how do I find out about potentially other ways of doing the same? Or is there a way for me to do this from my campus? Yeah, this, that's a great question. So at um, dctc.mil, our homepage, we have a portal for these kinds of questions. Um, for students on campus, there will be, starting in the February timeframe, a recruiting effort for what will then be cohort one. And we're excited for our cohort zero scholars to be ambassadors and to be helping us with our recruiting messaging. We're already getting a lot of queries because they're now a presence on campus, um, including there will be um, events on campus like hackathons, immersive learning events on campus that will be open to all students, but our DCTC scholars will be sort of taking the lead. If you're not at one of our four schools currently, then we have, um, through the ERIC, an innovation capstone um, program that is deployed at lots of universities around um, the country. And it's the same methodology of having a pro, uh, excuse me, problem-based real-life challenges that have been um, brought to us by the Department of Defense and, um, and uh, you know, created in, in a way that meets the, the university students where they are and creates a, a really exciting senior year capstone project. So we're running out of time. So I'm going to close with the, with the, uh, with the last question is, you know, 
the congressional mandate, looking at all of this, establishing the program, um, how far along are you sort of in, in achieving that vision? And how long do you think before you're at, uh, we'll call it IOC, and then how long before you're at uh, initial operational capability and full operational capability? What's the, what's the trajectory? Yeah. Um, so again, we're staying really lean and focusing on this minimally viable project uh, product. We have um, gone to the Hill and, and, and briefed the PSMs. They're, they're very pleased with, um, with the way we are. Brief the staff. Brief the staff, yep. Um, they're very pleased with the way the, the program is coming together. And, um, and we're hoping to have them be able to visit the campuses so they can, so they can meet our students. Um, the, as I said, the reporting requirement in March, 2025 uh, we're, we're fully on track with that. Our, um, our goal is to have a pilot of two full cohorts that we can really be able to report on the, you know, how well the curriculum um, is implemented, again, four semesters. So we need two years for that. And then we want to be able to hear back from our program, um, DOD program sponsors about how well the students are prepared for their summer internships. And you know, once we get that kind of feedback, and we're agile, and we're making adjustments, and we're making sure that there's that really strong demand and you know signal, and the universities are, are providing what the department needs, then then comes the question of how how you scale, and and again, I think that that could take um, a model that looks a little bit, you know, slightly different from the. Uh, original language in the bill where there's 20 universities, it, it could be a model where you've got more of the demand driving from specific organizations because the the way we're building on the students' desire to serve and helping them to get where they want to be, this is something that should be able to be done government-wide. And um, I really think that, that Eric and the DCTC have said that Extraordinary model. But you triggered another question in my mind. To, to this point, Congress has been supportive, including with funding. Yes, yes, uh, indeed. There was um, last year's um, appropriations had $50 million for the program. So uh, that was really the catalyst okay. for getting us going. And the Senate bill this year had an initial $20 million to fund. And we are hopeful that the president's budget will include DCTC so that we can really consider ourselves not just a pilot, but a full program. So that's great. And thank you for all of that information. And thank you for sharing with our members, um, you know, how government, industry, university can be involved in this program. We look forward to hearing updates thank you. from you. And we look forward to making use of the students as, yes. they, as they graduate and hopefully make DOD a uh, smarter, better uh, customer of, of, of all kinds of technologies and systems, including emerging technologies. Yes. Um, with that, I want to thank our guest, Karen Thornton, for joining us today's uh, podcast. Uh, I want to uh, tell you all to please visit our uh, YouTube page and our website to see all the great things that the Emerging Technologies Institute is up to. We're doing our webinars, our Technology 101 series, uh, our workshops, and putting out reports on, on various uh, technology policy and technology topics. Um, want to put one upcoming event on your calendars? Please pencil in August 7th 
through 9th, 2024 for the second annual Emerging Technologies Conference. Our first event in, uh, in August 23 was sold out, uh, both uh, the registrations and the exhibit floor, and we had great keynote speakers like uh, Deputy Secretary Hicks and Undersecretary Hsu and Undersecretary LaPlan, and we're going to do hopefully bigger and better this upcoming year, so we hope to see you all. Registration information will be available soon on our website. Um, with that, I want to thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Emerging Tech Horizons podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to hit the like button uh, on, the, on the YouTube channel and subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with everything that we're doing. Thanks very much.